Kevin. Hey, Mike. We were back for another another round. Yes. This would be episode eight of Music Life and Times. Great. Our podcast, and we're getting some very nice comments from some of our early listeners here. So we are encouraged to continue in our stream. And we've talked about the Beatles, and we we talked about Duke Ellington, and we thought this would be a good idea to today or to get started talking about Louis Armstrong. You know, I want to sort of introduce this by talking a little bit about a gentleman that we know, a brilliant trumpeter, composer, and band leader by the name of Russell Gunn. Uh, yeah, one of the greatest. And Russell is Atlanta-based, but he was commissioned by the Apollo Theater to compose music for a program they wanted to do in honor of the 50th anniversary of a book. Amiri Baraka is the author, Mm -hmm. and the book is The Blues and Its People. Mm -hmm. And it's really sort of the history of the, it's it's, it's African-American history through their music, which the theme of Baraka says that if you want to know the history of our people, you need to do no more than listen to the music and how that evolved. So what Russell did was, which with different chapters from the book, he composed music to express what had been written about in those chapters. Yeah, I I got to play organ and piano in the show. It's uh, one of the best musical experiences I've had in my three and a half decades of playing it was an honor to be included and we premiered it at the Apollo Theater itself back in February and we just did it again here at Symphony Hall opening up the Atlanta Jazz Festival you know it's powerful music and uh, Russell in particular has such a deep understanding of of how music works but in particularly the history of it and not not just African-American music you know he he, he loved Tchaikovsky <laughs> As, and could talk all night about his, mm-hmm. his music, you know. Uh, this was a special special piece of music to be involved in. As you guys were getting prepared to do that performance here, mm-hmm. um, I was uh, able to interview Russell about uh, the composition and about the performance for uh, artsatlanta.org, which mm-hmm. is the entertainment um, online entertainment publication uh, here in Atlanta, and um, uh, which kind of brings me back full circle to the to the topic of Louis Armstrong, because in in our conversation, when I brought up Louis Armstrong, Russell he said the entirety of what we do comes from a source, and it can all be traced back to Louis Armstrong. Now, before uh, when he say what we do, the we what we previously had talked about is that the concept that jazz is essentially African-American music. And, and Russell's concept is that it stems from the work of Louis Armstrong. And he said, the entirety of what we do comes from a source and it can all be traced back to Louis Armstrong. All roads lead to Louis Armstrong and all roads come out of that. You know that if you're honest with yourself as a musician. Yeah, I, I agree completely. You know, Ken, Ken Burns made that documentary 25 years ago called Jazz. Um, and it was heavily criticized for oh, talking too much about Louis Armstrong. And 
that was just jazz politics. It, absolutely, everything goes back to him. And what he, his first of all, his life story is amazing. I can't believe that a, a movie has not been made like a biopic about him because you couldn't write a more interesting story. And his achievement out of it against great, you know, adversity in his life. The things that his genius and his commitment to music that he created, all, all pop music, not just jazz, is is basically goes back to him. And that's an easy thing to say, but it's, he, you know, we live in an age where he was recorded. His music is documented. You can literally compare him with what was going on at the same time and hear how what he changed. You know, his his way of singing and dealing with rhythm. You can't hear a pop musician today and not hear his timing and phrasing in there. And if you listen to the difference in rhythm before him and the way he infused it and everything, it's it's profound. And, you know, it is African-American. He grew up listening to opera. Because <laughs> it was the pop music of the turn of the mm-hmm. century in a certain way. He listened to all music, but he, he loved opera singers and the timing that's there. And then he infused it with his African-American experience. I mean, that's just one thing. He, he, he's really one of the very first jazz musicians to create jazz as serious art instead of just being entertainment music for, you know, hot houses. Mm-hmm. Um, he extended the range of the trumpet and the creative techniques on that people had not thought of before. Um, he, the, all the stuff is at the beginning, you know. His recordings uh, in Chicago in the 20s, called the Hot Fives and the Hot Sevens, are um, jaw-droppingly serious and beautiful and funny and entertaining and virtuosic and uh, change the world. And then he continues with his career all the way into the, into the 70s. I wish I got to see him live. That would be something. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a mentor who record with, recorded with him, and that's a powerful story. I, I just, I, it's so funny that he's still underappreciated. Tracy Morgan supposedly is producing uh, the first real dramatic telling of Louis Armstrong's story that's not a documentary mm-hmm. and he's gonna play him and he, he kind of looks like a young Louis Armstrong it's uh, uh I think it's great someone's finally doing it mm-hmm. you know uh as a young boy I might remember my exposure to Louis Armstrong was through the Ed Sullivan show and um I of course I knew nothing about jazz and I knew very little about music at that point but uh, Ed Sullivan, you know, of course, everybody knows he had the Beatles on. That was, that was mm-hmm. their kind of American exposure first came through him. And, and then Louis Armstrong. And Louis Armstrong, I just remember him singing Hello, Dolly. And the trumpet looked more like a prop, <laughs> if you will, than uh, something that he was seriously playing. But that was, that was for pop television and... Um, uh, there's well, so much know, more to him than, than what we got out of there, that there, kind of performance. You know, Mike, there, there's a part of his legacy that currently is being revisited and renewed. He, there was a period of time where because of his demeanor on stage, uh, grinning and smiling and acting silly and entertaining, 
that a, a lot of people during the civil rights movement and later viewed it very negatively that he was, I don't know, Uncle Tomming or something like that. There's a lot of negative things. And then, you know, as this, so many books written, so there was a lot of books that also highlighted that. But over the last 10 years in particular, people have been revisiting it and recognizing the amount of social justice work he did before the civil rights movement even that um, was really important. He was... When he was on stage doing that, that's just who he was. He wasn't doing it, in my opinion, to like kowtow to white audiences. Um, there's, this, there's a bunch of great stories. This is a very early one. In 1931, 32, early 30s, his band is performing in the South. It's either Alabama or maybe Memphis. I don't remember. But um, they, got, they had finished the show and they're getting on the bus. And the, his uh, manager's wife, who was white, got on the bus with him. And the police saw it. And they arrested them. The whole band. They got bailed out. And they had a radio broadcast the next day. And um, <laughs> Louis Armstrong has this song of his they had written, or at least performed, I think, in like a Betty Boop cartoon. And it's, it does not... It's not a very good thing to see. But the name of the song is um, You Rascal You. And the lyrics are, I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal you. I'll spit on your grave when you're dead, you rascal you. <laughs> he gets on the radio and dedicates it to the sheriff that arrested them <laughs> and performs that song. Yeah. Um, there's footage of him when he's touring Africa, maybe in the 60s, singing to an, an, an all-black audience. Um, near South Africa, maybe Zimbabwe. I don't remember that either. But he sings Fat Waller's, Fat Waller's great song, Black and Blue. Oh. What did I do to be so black and blue? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, th there's there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stories of him standing up and taking risks and doing things in favor of. Um, you know, his African-Americans or Africans everywhere, you know. And he had to, I mean, as, I, as he got popular, I guess, uh, people wanted a piece of him. I think you had told me uh, a story at one time about how he, um, he had to, uh, th that the mafia learned to try to control him. Yeah, I mean, he's in Chicago during, you know, during like prohibition times and performing and the Great Depression coming up and and yeah, the, the 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 mob. I don't know if we called it mafia. I mean, you know, Al Capone and company mm -hmm. there in Chicago. They they wanted his contract and his money, and he ended up he ended up fleeing in the middle of the night and going to New York to escape it and restarts his career there. I mean, he was already getting super famous. But he goes there, he forms a big band, he does these series of recordings there. They're also groundbreaking. I, you know, we got a short podcast. Uh, Louis Armstrong, like we could talk about all day long. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that's important is just that uh, his legacy is so important to all of the music we listen to. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's quite unusual, this merger of very serious art with entertainment from, you know, this American, African-American experience, he, he's really the first and most important. And there really isn't anyone who performs, you know, music that's not, 
not influenced with them, even if they don't know it. Mm-hmm. I know that's a strong thing to say, but lots of people say it, so I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, perhaps that's our lesson learned from this very brief conversation, an initial conversation. Uh, we'll talk more about Louis Armstrong as we, uh, as we evolve this uh, podcast series, because you have to talk more about Louis Armstrong if you're talking about jazz. There's this, um, you know, I always wanted to, he, there's a lot of people I never got to see live. He, he's like at the top of the list. Imagine seeing him live. Mm-hmm. I have this mentor, um, Rich Madison. He started uh, the jazz program down at the Uni- University of North Florida, where I ended up going to school. And his charisma and his love of music and love of teaching living students was profound. You know, he created this program there from scratch with students from all over the country. It's quite an experience. And um, he got to record with Louis Armstrong. Um, he wow. played tuba on recording with him. And um, he, he tells the story better than I could ever tell the story. But, of course, he's a young, very young man. I think he was 20. And this group he was with, they were so excited to record with him. And Louis Armstrong comes in. And um, it's overpowering how great his music was. As Rich tells it, like, they played... Um, just a closer walk with thee and when louis started playing there in the studio and it felt like the windows changed to stained glass <laughs> and there was a glow and a halo and everything was 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 transformed and then they did saint james infirmary and the room went almost dark draped in sadness and Rich says that he started crying when they finished the song. And then they did um, a, a happy song. I don't remember which one. Not the Saints, but something similar. And he said it felt like we were all outdoors, marching in the street with just utter abandonment and joy. And again, Rich tells the story so well. But the, the best part of it is he goes, after they're done recording, he says he goes up to Louis. 20-year-old talking to this giant, right? He's so, giant of music, you know, so nervous. He said, he got the guts up to go up. He says, Mr. Armstrong, this has been an honor. I have to ask you a question. How did you do that? And I wish I could do Louis' voice, but he says, what do you mean, how did I do what? And he says, well, when you sang this, we were in church. And then when you sang this, we were in like a mortuary. And then when you finished, we were outside celebrating life. How did you transform the rooms and us like that? And Louis Armstrong, he says, well, you know, always play for someone you love. Not for yourself. Not for anything else. Rich, again, he tells it way better. And he says the exact quote that Louis said, I don't remember exactly, but this... This thing about always play for someone you love. Rich, every every concert right before we started. By the way, he he was a he was a bull rehearsals. He was mm-hmm. he was aggressive director, but before we went on stage, he'd be like, okay, all right, all right, kids. Make sure you play for someone you love out there. Mm-hmm.